right, here we go. We don't need your education. We don't need your thought control. I really think you ought to rethink this deal. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Politics, pop culture, entertainment, faith, and family. Addressing today's issues head on from a Christian worldview. This is the Mike Corley Program. Wake the You know, in Romans 1.16, where the Apostle Paul says, writes, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. Paul wasn't just saying that I'm not going to be ashamed to stand up in the marketplace and in the workplace and, and proclaim his name, and although that's true. But I like the rest of that scripture in its entirety. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to all those who believe. We need to, in this day and time, uh, understand one central truth as, as believers, that people need the Lord. And I, I've said before, this program, if we have, we have several goals, but our main goal is uh, basically, we want to see you get saved. We want to see you come to, to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and that he's the Lord of your life. So whoever you are, whatever you're involved in, uh, you need the Lord. I get a lot of um, uh, faxes, emails, sometimes just plain old packages where folks just go ahead and send them to me, of books. Sometimes I get six, seven books a week. And one particular flyer, fax come past my desk one day, and I looked at the title, Paul Meets Muhammad. And I said, uh, okay, well, that's probably something I chunked over in the corner. Then I picked it up later on, and I said, uh, I looked at it again. Paul meets Muhammad, a Christian-Muslim debate on the resurrection. Michael R. Lacona is the author of this book. And I got to reading, he is the director of apologetics and evangelism at the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. I said, well, maybe he knows what he's talking about. Michael Lacona is on the phone with us right now. Hello, Michael. How are you, my friend? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to tell you, like I told you before we started the show, I saw the title of your book, and I said, okay, that's probably somebody that's going to try to, you know, I don't know, some kind of esoteric, something or other. But this is a, is a wonderful book. I'm still reading it. Uh, Paul Meets Muhammad, The Resurrection of Jesus, Fact or Fiction. Uh, how did you come about writing this book? Why did you write it? Well, uh just about two years ago, I had a debate with uh, a gentleman named Shabir Ali, who is considered by many to be the uh, world's leading uh, Muslim debater. And um, so he, uh, his organization contacted me, asked him to debate him. I agreed to do that. We debated on the resurrection of Jesus. I spent a lot of time in preparation for it, and as I was doing this, I thought, wow, this is uh, really uh, a lot of fun to do this and to look at the... Um, arguments offered by Muslims against the resurrection and interact with these kind of things. And I thought, well, uh, let's see how this debate goes, if it goes well. Uh, what I would be really neat is to take 
uh, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus presented by Christian scholars, as well as the evidence against the resurrection, or I shouldn't say evidence, but mm. the arguments used against the resurrection of Jesus. And let's put it in a fictional setting where you have the Apostle Paul debating the prophet Muhammad on the same issue of the resurrection of Jesus. It would be something that be fiction, be something that would be fun for the, the reader to look at and uh, easy read and try to keep their interest and inform them on all the things that are discussed today on this very, very important subject. Now, I found, again, in the title, Paul meets Muhammad. Now, why did you not say Jesus meets Muhammad? Oh, very, very good question. Um, I, I think, um, you know, it was a difficult choice. Uh, Muslims view Jesus and Muhammad as both being great prophets, and they view Paul as being a false apostle. Uh, Christians view Jesus as divine, even God, whereas mm -hmm. Paul and, and Paul as one of Christianity's greatest apostles, and Muhammad as a false prophet. And so there's no way that we can reach an agreement on who can be a peer. Um, if we had it as Jesus versus Muhammad, the Muslim would simply, and I want to have Muslim readers on this, so the Muslim would just simply respond, well, the Jesus you have in there debating Muhammad really wouldn't have done that. That's not what he would have said. The Gospels have Jesus wrong, or Christians misinterpret him. So it just wouldn't have worked that way. So I put Paul and Muhammad together because um, the claims of both Muhammad and Paul uh, were that they experienced revelations from God, or in some supernatural sense, um, and it led to their uh, total change in their life to where they switched their worldviews. Paul became a Christian. Muhammad yeah. uh, left a typical monotheistic uh, faith and stayed with monotheism, but became a, was the first Muslim. And... Um, Second, while both Christians and Muslims agree that uh, Jesus was a great prophet, um, that Jesus, um, you know, Muslims reject the authority of Paul and Christians reject the authority of Muhammad. So they do, in a sense, Paul and Muhammad seem to be natural debate partners, and that's why I put them together. Why a discussion, though, of the resurrection? I mean, why not uh, um, the validity of the Bible or... Um, uh, or, or, or different doctrines of either Christianity or Islam? Mm, great question. Um, they actually could. There'd be a number of things that they could discuss. For example, Christology, you know, who is Jesus? Mm -hmm. Was he divine? or was The he divinity just... of the Lord, right. Exactly. Um, but the reason I cast this with the resurrection is because the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation event of Christianity. Mm. Um, and so here's the thing. If Jesus rose from the dead then certainly Christianity is true and Islam is false, since Islam denies the death of Jesus, much less his, his resurrection. Uh, I should say the death of Jesus by crucifixion in the first century. Mm -hmm. So, um, on the other hand, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then it's certain that Christianity is false. So it is one of those issues that if Paul wins the debate, then Christianity wins. If Muhammad wins, then Christianity loses. Mm. So it's um, there's a lot riding on, you know, this the the issue of the resurrection of Jesus. Absolutely, we're talking with Michael Lacona, author of the book "Paul Meets Muhammad: A Christian Muslim Debate on the Resurrection." I mean, now look, this meeting, of course, never took place, and you you take it in this setting, and we're trying to I'm trying to come to grips of uh, how do we come to a conclusion? Uh, trying to think ahead, what would Paul have said? What Muhammad have said? and uh, in response to one another. 
So how, how do we come to these conclusions, uh, considering mm-hmm. the event never took place? Well, it's a very good question. Um, the first thing I, I try to do is to look at how, uh, you know, Paul argues in, in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a certain tone about him, a certain personality. It's hard to get that from Muhammad, uh, just because in the Quran you have some things about Muhammad, um, but he's, he's not mentioned a whole lot in there. Most of what we know about Muhammad comes from the Hadith and the early biographies of Muhammad, which are about 200 years after right. uh, his, his death. So it, it is hard to do. Um, basically what I tried to do was to cast Paul and Muhammad according to the personalities, a personality that a Muslim would recognize and a person that, uh, with Muhammad and a personality a Christian may recognize with Paul. And then I used um, arguments that um, you know, I, I, I used Paul to, to quote his own uh, writings quite a bit, uh, or said it in such a way that you'd recognize his, his own writings. But then I did use a lot of the arguments that Christian scholars uh, use today in order to defend the resurrection of Jesus, its historicity. What's Paul's main argument in, in support of the resurrection? Well, a number of facts, which, um, let me just give you three facts, which the majority of today's scholars acknowledge as being historical facts, um, even skeptical ones. Um, And and when I say the large majority, I'm not saying all. There's nothing on which all scholars agree on. Um, (laughs) But the death of Jesus by crucifixion is accepted by 99.9% of all scholars today. Um, The empty tomb. Uh, of Jesus is accepted by about 75% of all scholars today. Uh, that Jesus, uh, that his disciples and, and even some of his enemies, his skeptics, uh, believe that subsequent to his death that he appeared to them bodily, risen from the dead, and that this changed their lives. That's acknowledged by virtually every scholar out there today, including skeptical ones. Mm-hmm. So as a historian, I have to account for these three facts and say, well, you know, what's the best way to account for all of these? Um, and when you uh, look through all the criteria that historians use for determining whether something happened, um, and you weigh the various theories, such as, well, did, were they hallucinating? Did someone steal the body? Was it a legend that developed over time? All of those theories fail. The only one that passes is that Jesus rose from the dead. Right. What, so what is, uh, would be Islam's the prophet Muhammad's, or I use that term descriptively, uh, opposition to the resurrection. Mm. In the Quran, Surah 4, verses 157 and 158, it says that uh, they did not kill Jesus. They they thought they killed him and crucified him, but they did not. Uh, That God only made it appear that way. Uh, So that... Muslims come back with two different different interpretations of that. The one interpretation is that... um, Jesus, and this is the primary one, that when they came to arrest Jesus, or at some point along the way, maybe it was at the arrest and they made Judas, God made Judas look like Jesus and they took him instead. Or that while Jesus was carrying his cross and he stumbles and falls, Joseph of Arimathea picks it up, um, and then God makes Joseph look like Jesus and they crucify him instead. In either uh, of those two cases, Jesus never gets crucified. Now, in the other instance, uh, Jesus does get crucified, but God makes Jesus appear as though he's dead. They mistake him as being dead. They take him off the cross. They put him in the tomb. God heals him within the tomb, but he never died, and he comes out and shows himself alive and in perfect health. 
So um, those are the two main ways of interpreting the Quran, but they both have one thing in common, and, and that is that in neither sense does Jesus die on the cross. So that would go against the first historical fact that most historians, almost all historians, agree on. So that's, that's the main um, objection that they will come back with. That's Jesus a, did not die. And that's absolutely amazing. And did you talk, consult with any uh, Muslims when you wrote this book? Um, I did. Um, I consulted, well, first of all, it was based on studying, uh, my representation of the Islamic arguments were based on um, other debates that Muslims have had where they sought to uh, refute the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus. So I knew what they were saying. Mm -hmm. Um, Then what I did was I took the manuscript and I sent it to a Muslim friend of mine, a very committed Muslim, here in the United States, and I said, hey, would you look through this manuscript um, and and give me your honest thoughts? And he was very kind to do it. He was ready to go into medical school at the time within, I think, two weeks later. And he took time and he sat down and he read the manuscript, and I said, listen, I want you to be honest with me. You know, tell me um, if you think I've dummied down Muhammad's arguments, if I've made them weaker than they actually are. Uh, Tell me if I misunderstood or misrepresent any uh, positions of Islam. And he made a few minor suggestions, which, which I corrected within the manuscript. So I was really appreciative of that. And then, of course, some former Muslims who are now Christians read the manuscript and, and assisted me with that. Michael, you're the uh, Director of Apologetics Interfaith um, uh, with NAMB, with the Southern Baptist Convention. What, what should our, uh, as believers, I say, what should our, uh, what should believers approach? What should our attitude be toward uh, not only just Muslims, but uh, other uh, religions, um, of course, like we've talked about before the program, I believe Islam is a false religion. Muhammad, mm-hmm. uh, false prophet. The Quran is not the word of God. Allah is not the Lord God Almighty. What should our attitude and approach be toward uh, Muslims? Because they need Christ too. They they do. That's a wonderful question. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the, the Colossians, chapter four, uh, I think it's verse two. He says, "Let your speech always be with grace." seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Mm. So Paul is very clear there that uh, we should always speak with grace toward non-believers. Always. There's no exception to that. He says, let your speech always be with grace. And it, sometimes we can misunderstand some, uh, some uh, when we read and we say, well, well, Jesus, look at the way he talked to the, the, the Sadducees or the scribes. Yeah. Look at the way ta- Paul talked to some... We have to keep in mind that that was a Middle Eastern culture, and that's the way they would still speak to one another today. They're very highly emotional. Uh, you can really uh, attack like that. But in our Western culture, it's quite different. And we saw that during our presidential debates with the Bush Kerry, um, where they asked people, you know, and they had electronic devices where people would uh, talk about what they, they, they'd enter in a number and what they right. thought about various comments, and anything that was a dig on a person, uh, that sounded canned, that was unloving, uh, the people here in this country responded in a negative manner, no matter who said it. So I think that um, we have to go according to our culture, and when Paul says, uh, let our speech always be with grace, that may mean a little different today than it did in the first century, and it should always be with great respect and gentleness, as Peter also says in 1 Peter 3.15. I like the way... You said that Paul um, put grace and salt into the same. And Ephesians 4.15 says we should speak the truth 
in love. And there's that, there's that balance. Mm-hmm. I'll be guilty as probably as many people sometimes, you know, especially when it comes to other preachers or, or someone who uh, just absolutely are going contrary to the faith. You know, I don't cut preachers a lot of slack sometimes. <laughs> Deacons even less. But <laughs> No, I'm joking. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, Jude 3 says that we should uh, be earnestly contending for the faith once delivered unto the saints. What would you tell to some, some of our listeners right now who who don't do a whole lot of contending, what would you do to encourage them and to exhort them? Well, I would encourage them to, to, to learn. Um, yeah. There are some good, very good opportunities that are coming up for Christians to share their faith with non-believers, and in a non-threatening way, um, if we will just be prepared and spend a little time with a little bit of study. So, for example, uh, the Da Vinci Code is coming up. Yeah. Um, we as Christians should, should not run away from this. Uh, we ought to embrace this opportunity because... The Da Vinci Code is filled with uh, amazing errors and misstatements, um, things which are so easily refuted and so obvious to those who have studied the subject mm-hmm. that um, even your secular radio or television programs like Dateline, Primetime, History Channel, all those, they're coming out with negative reports against the Da Vinci Code. That's right. Um, even after they've interviewed some of the most radical scholars out there, like Elaine Pagels at Princeton, Karen King at Harvard, um, so when you have even the secular media that's critiquing uh, and giving negative reviews of the movie in terms of its, its, the truth of its content, then we're sitting on very good ground. So if we will take a little bit of time um, and learn some of the claims of the Da Vinci Code and how to answer those, we will be amazed at the kind of opportunities to share yeah. our faith that will come up. We will discover... Um, uh, and appreciate the foundations of our faith as, as well. The book is entitled Paul Meets Muhammad. The author is Michael Lacona. You can find out more at um, the website, where it is, bakerpublishinggroup.com, 800-877-2665, and we'll give you those addresses on all again here in just a moment. Michael, thank you so much for taking some time with us, man. We appreciate it, and God bless you and all that you're doing. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate you having me on. It's, it's mighty holy. Our God is holy. 